welcome to Dead Cat. Tom here, joined by Eric Newcomer and our official Dead Cat uh, legal correspondent and New York Times reporter Aaron Griffith. How's Hi. it going? How's it going, Aaron? <laughs> I like that. I like that title. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I think you can uh, you can put it on your business card. On my LinkedIn. Um, yeah, uh, I can endorse that. So uh, Tom, very... Tom Tom had his catalytic converter stolen in San Francisco today. So he's he's mustering all his like uh, professionalism not to be in full meltdown as he turns into uh, David Stack's style uh, conservative before our very eyes. I was happy to go just full like San Francisco <laughs> vigilante. Like I just don't believe in any sort of law. Like forget like David Sachs law. I just want to like hunt down the bastard myself. Um, I'm Steve McQueen. Anyway, we, but we have a very exciting episode. Uh, we've got uh, all the disclosures from the Elon Musk uh, Twitter lawsuit with lots of Emails that show all the idiosyncrasies of the They're Silicon Valley elite. They're text. They're text oh, DMs. And we should say at text. the outset here, we at Dead Cat are huge fans of texts discovered through uh, legal correspondence and discovery. Uh, right. The name of the show actually does derive from uh, another lawsuit in which texts were disclosed as part of discovery. So huge fans, huge fans of tech leaked, not really leaked, discovered texts. It's like tech, it's like tech reporter Christmas when this kind of stuff happens. Like, it's incredible. It's, it's like everything manna we, from heaven. It's like everything we try to do, but poorly, uh, but at a huge scale and way more and than you could ever ask for. And for free. We barely had to do any work to get it. We did nothing. We we need to find the best podcast name out of these these uh, filings. I don't. I, I haven't read My, them. With mice that. nuts would be a start. <laughs> Jump oh, on that, a grande. Is, is that? Oh, yeah. Jump on a grande. That's a good. Jump that's a, a good episode name. That is definitely uh, the. Uh, oh, mice nuts. Is that Sachs? That's Sachs yeah. talking about his his pittance. You know, in, in his ability to contribute to the uh, the GoFundMe to buy to buy Twitter. That Elon all right. We all, we all have our favorites out of these. I mean, I haven't picked mine, but I'm sure, but, uh, how, let's which, give a little to the audience start? here. You kind of did at the outset, but we can, we can go through a little bit more chronologically. Elon Musk is going to be deposed as part of the, uh, lawsuit that Twitter filed against him to enforce the terms of their contract of when he signed a legally binding agreement to buy Twitter. A couple the, of months the, ago. the deal where Elon uh, tried to do diligence after signing the deal to buy the company instead of yeah. before. Yeah, I'm no lawyer, but not recommended. So, uh, uh, and yesterday, uh, the Delaware Chancery Court released a full dump of text messages uh, uh, obtained through. Apparently, if you read through the, the full filings, Twitter is upset they didn't get more from it. They felt there were relevant things that were not included in this that they're trying to, you know, they, they want more. And so but it's still dude. 40 pages of text yeah. messages. Yeah. yeah. And you've read and it's, You guys, re I've read yes. the highlights. We've read them all. And let me tell you guys, all the stars are here. All the stars. Are still <laughs> Everyone. Are here. Everyone. Yeah. And, some, and, and some randos. Basically, Elon wants to say that like Twitter misrepresented itself and the fact that it has a, a major bots problem, which would make the price that they agreed to or that he, you know, put forth and Twitter ultimately agreed to was not, uh, right. you know, Provable, usable. Elon doesn't yeah. want to do the deal. Twitter has an in the agreement to sell the company. Twitter was allowed to force Elon to do the deal, even if he no longer wanted to do it. So they're trying to force him. And Elon is trying to say that Twitter made misstatements, not directly to him, but in their financial filings, which would have been material and would have changed his interest in buying the company. Of course, in these texts, there are hysterical 
places where Elon basically says, oh, yeah, I know there's a big problem with like fake accounts and that you couldn't run Twitter as a public company and fix the fake accounts because they would lose so many users. And so that's why you needed to take it private in the first place. I found that text message to yeah, be super damning. What some people talked about is like the smoking gun. There are others that sort of indicate that he knew about the bot problem before he agreed to the deal, which Twitter is obviously going to use to point to the fact that it's yeah. not just the sudden thing that he discovered after right, he, he was tweeting signed the deal. It. Yeah, there's there's also a really great one where he says that or he texts Sean Parker from his mom's apartment and says he's doing Twitter diligence calls. And this due diligence, this is one month after he signed exactly. the deal. Right. <laughs> right. So he's just starting diligent <laughs> a month later. Yeah. They like it, could have been, it could have been diligent. And, and just just to be as generous as possible, it could have been diligence for getting investors to come on to back his, uh, to finance his, his deal. He could have been, you know, doing diligence in the other direction, but it doesn't really read that way. Yeah. And... Uh, just from from a larger perspective, the one thing that I really got from these texts, not the one thing, but one of the things that you got from these texts is that it kind of puts to bed finally this idea this was all some big joke that Elon, you know, was just doing it as a troll. They never intended to buy this company that it already sort of kind of got out of control. You can really see through the course of these texts, it does really seem like Jack was the seed planter. Jack of the whole Dorsey, idea. Jack founder Dorsey. of Twitter, former CEO, guy who controlled Twitter like the most, but somehow acts like it's this like company that has nothing to do with him. And he's like, oh, why? A fascinating character. Anyway, well, it is he, interesting that he talks about at one point, he's like, well, I couldn't really do, I could never do what I wanted to do with it because Twitter doesn't have super voting shares. And it's like, oh, that's so funny because like Facebook managed to get that. But Twitter, because they had so much drama at the beginning of their company, were not able to give their founders, the most basic thing that even the crappiest startups get these days, which is like total iron fisted control, right. uh, super voting shares. Um, you know, if I die, my children will control the company. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I install a puppet, like they, they, you can't stop me. Yeah. One of the defining characteristics of this age in tech is like the lack of anyone wanting to take responsibility for the products that they build, the companies that they build, the cultures that they have you know pushed forward and twitter is the best example of that because here you have jack dorsey more responsible than anyone else in the creation of this and running of this company basically saying yeah this is this i, I don't know what's going on here this doesn't really make any sense to me i, uh, I have right. no relationship with the board to structure this very quickly because there's so much meat on the bone here and i want to make sure we cover it all <laughs> i think there are a couple where there's like you know some relevance to the actual substance of the case i think the elon Parag, uh, Parag being the Twitter CEO that was installed by Jack Dorsey. Parag we'll Agrawal. We'll talk about those <laughs> and any others that seem actually substantive. We've covered a couple. Then I think the real joy of this is just the <laughs> totally useless ones that are only like fun because they're like snapshots into the world these guys inhabit. And then finally, Erin uh, has her story about yeah. uh, bro culture, which I disagree with in part and i'm happy to oh, yeah anyway get into that so what you can tell from these texts is that elon and parag seem to get along pretty well at first and they have some sort of a connection over the fact that they're both engineering types they're um they're techie types they're people who speak in code 
and understand each other through that way. And so I'm going to pull a couple of the highlights that uh, our buddy Alex Kantrowitz on his on his blog, Big Technology. Big Technology. It's a newsletter. It's a newsletter. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't say blog. Shit. Uh, his what newsletter. Big. I don't know. 1990 or something. Yeah. Uh, he he did a decent job kind of curating some of the funnier ones. And so I'm, I'm scrolling down here. If you guys, doesn't want. he like treat me like an engineer or talk to me like I'm an engineer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paint me like one of your engineering girls, Jack. <laughs> So I'm reading his Musk here. <laughs> I interface way better with engineers who are able to do hardcore programming than with program managers slash NBA types of people. And then uh, Parag responds, in our next convo, treat me like I'm an engineer instead of CEO. <laughs> and let's see where we get to. So They're feeling are, each other out. They're trying yeah. to you know, figure out what their dynamic is. And ultimately, yeah. they discover that... <laughs> It's not great. And and we should say right before this, Jack is telling Elon, you know, I've installed Parag as the next CEO. I've seen this guy for a while. He's a real technical type. You guys should get along great. Like you guys really, you guys really understand each other through that way. And and it does seem like they have a decent thing going over text until uh, Elon starts getting up all on Twitter uh, the next day. You are free to tweet quote, is Twitter dying or anything else about Twitter? But it's my responsibility to tell you that it's not helping me make Twitter better in the current context. Next time we speak, I'll do... There's a little bit of a... I'd like you to provide... Oh, he's messed up here. I'd like you to provide you perspective on the level of internal distraction right now and how it's hurting our ability to do work. I hope the AMA will help you help people get to know you to understand why you believe in Twitter and to trust you. I'd like the company to get to a place where we are more resilient and don't get distracted, but we aren't there right now. And then Elon responds, what did you get done this week? <laughs> I'm not joining the board. This is a waste of time. We'll make an offer to take Twitter private. Amazing. Just incredible. It, I mean, just it's incredible. It it's all right like... there. It reminds me of, did you guys watch the Let It Be documentary on Disney Plus? No, like no. the making of Let It Be? There's this part where they're just, they really hate each other the most at the beginning of the making this album. And the George Beatles. Har the Beatles, yeah. And George Harrison is like, I hate this. I just quit the Beatles. I just left the Beatles. And he just walks out. And it's just like, oh, wow, they actually caught it on tape. Him saying like, let the record show I just quit the Beatles. He ends up right. coming back a couple of days later. But I feel like this is the Twitter Elon version of I just quit the Beatles. Right. Just simply like, I'm not joining the board. What did you get done this week is just, is it has to be a meme already, right? Like amongst Elon fanboys, especially. Right. Like it's just... It's chilling. I mean, and do we think that he did that just... At, that that was when he decided, like he just snapped on a dime, like I'm buying this thing because I because I because I can't stand this guy so much because he's telling me what I can and can't tweet. I do think we can't underplay the amount that Jack played into Elon's wanting to go ahead and buy this because uh, you know I, I obviously yeah. he, he convinced him to join the board, which was a big part of it. But I, I do think he was thinking slightly longer term plan here, which was like eventually he will control this company. And so it, that might have been, you know, the seed was planted and it just started to, you know, growth spurt right then. But that that, that was definitely an accelerant. That Jack, Jack comes off as just like the worst. It's like you installed this guy and then you didn't achieve any of the things you wanted. And now you're like goading on Elon to like basically fuck over your company. Yeah, well, I mean, to, to go back to Jack, just to scroll back a little bit here, Elon and Jack have a discussion, I think, before the Parag uh, implosion, where Elon says, you know, basically sets up a call with Jack, and they end up, you know, talking one and a half hours later, Elon says to him, thanks, great conversation. 
And Jack's like, always, I couldn't be happier you're doing this. I've wanted it for a long time. I got emotional when I learned it was finally possible. So there were machinations in place here. There's no question. Well, so here's a question, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but like, has Jack said anything about how he feels about Elon trying to get out of the deal now? Like, is he heartbroken or is he supporting Elon's attempt yeah, I, to get I out don't of it? No, it's a great mystery to me. I want to say he hasn't said almost anything about it. I think once, you know, it became a legal matter, you know, people tried to be a little bit, other people, not Elon, tried to be a little <laughs> more circumspect over the shit that they said publicly. I mean, they're all going to get subpoenaed and, and, and deposed anyway. So, you know, stuff will come out. But I think Jack has been pretty quiet about all of this. I mean, I just wonder how all the all the people who are like just supporting him and egging him on behind the scenes, if it, you know, they're so excited for him to to own Twitter if they're now like so excited for him to not own Twitter <laughs> because that's what he wants. It's I think they, they have complicated allegiances, especially like the real Elon cheerleaders, because listen, I'll admit it here. I listen to the All In podcast from time to time which they, you know, those characters figure quite prominently right. uh, yes. into the text that we're going to have fun with later. But, you know, in paying attention to them, they were all gung-ho for Elon to come in and fix this company, which we can see in the text. And now they have to be, because they're Elon, you know, they're like the salacious crumb to Elon's job of the hut. Like, they're all now having to, like, push the party line that, like, Elon is right. There's a bot problem. This company is messed up. They pulled a fast one on him. And so it's very difficult for them to reconcile that like Elon will fix this with like Elon should not be forced to own this company because it's so broken. I'm sorry, Jason. Uh, you don't come off very well in these text messages. Everyone knows who Jason is. I think he's, he's 100% upfront with the, you know, the people. He's talked about his relationship and his, you know, the fact that he's a buddy with Elon for years. Jason started marketing a SPV. A to, special purpose vehicle, basically. Like a, yeah, a special purpose vehicle to round up a bunch of money, 250K buy-in to invest in the Twitter, Elon's Twitter, take private deal. And, you know, this is what Jason does. He has lots of SPVs that he invests in, you know, startups. Um, basically, he, he rallies the troops with his followers and they all invest behind him and get to participate in his deals. And he makes money off of the carry on that. And so he was doing this for... Uh, the Elon deal and Elon basically comes to me he's like why are you marketing this to randos it makes me look desperate please stop it you know my Jared Burchell my advisor and Morgan Stanley are pissed and then Jason like you know kind of backtracks and he's like oh I'm so sorry I love you bro you know I'm ride or die for you I'll, I'll, I'll fall on a grande for you <laughs> yeah instead, instead he, of grenade he says grande uh, it happens yeah. it yeah. happens he, he is and Elon responds with a heart uh, <laughs> he, he I know him. that's the real power of iMessage is giving him so much power. He just like, you know, rewards all these people with their sycophantic uh, responses with like hearts and likes. Um, yeah. I mean, people talk about how when you reach a certain, you know, echelon of wealth, you are surrounded by, you know, sycophants and people who only tell you the things you want to hear. And this might be one of the more pure, you know, exhibitions of that, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, isn't it just exhausting to be him, you know, like seeing that just this inbound of constantly people, A, sucking up to you, B, trying to trying to get something from you. And if they're not, then you're wondering what their ultimate game is. I mean, later right. on, Jason is, or maybe it's earlier, I don't remember which order these things happened in, but at one point, Jason's pitching him with all these ideas and they're kind of like winding each other up on what the possibilities of Twitter are. And you know, Elon asks Jason, like, do you want to be an advisor? And Jason is like, yes. Oh, my God. My dream job is CEO of Twitter. Like, 
you know, he says something about a sword, uh, like you have my sword. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it works, you know, if you're coming to him with all these ideas and he's going to like, maybe put you in a position of power. Like he asked him to be an advisor. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, Jason's just being Jason. I think like he, he's been around the tech community for, it's got to be like 25 right. years And I mean, he so. does and organize I, SPVs and somehow Sachs was allowed to organize yeah. An S, or I don't know if that happened, but David no, was just, basically uh, just like, proposed it. I'm not sure that he actually right. did. Yeah. But anyway, just, just to finish up on the J-Cal thing, because I do think he's been getting a lot of shit for it. And I say people have made up their mind about him. This shouldn't change anything about it. I think he's being <laughs> exactly what people know him as. And if you like it, you're fine with it. You think he's obnoxious, then, you know, this is just more proof for that. But uh, like I said, J-Cal just being J-Cal. Uh, he loves Elon. He's his buddy. You know, this one of the like most uh, insightful dynamics that I've encountered in, in describing like male male relationships is like uh, Billy Bush and Donald Trump. If you think about the way they interacted during the Axis Hollywood tape, oh my God, this is not this is not too different from that. You know, it's like Jake Cal's being a little Billy Bush and and uh, and Elon's being a little Trump. Anyway, Jason to Elon, board member, advisor, whatever, you have my sword, you know, <laughs> I, I think he, he says like, oh yeah, he literally sends another message, put me in coach, mm -hmm. put me in the game coach. He also has lots of ideas. He had, he had okay, the grande typo is, is pretty funny, um, but the other one was the, he was talking about Justin Beaver. Did you guys see that one? No, I missed that one. What is Justin Bieber? Oh, because he doesn't. They're they're talking about ideas, and they're saying like we. Sh they're talking about all these ways to like chart to make more money from Twitter, and one of them is like to have in to he he at one point he suggests like we should get Mr. Beast to make videos or whatever, and, right. at, and at one point he's like we should have allow like influencers to pay money to like send a DM to all of their followers at once, and he's like Justin Bieber could like dm millions of followers and sell merchandise that way and, and anyway which sounds like a terrible spammy idea but i just i mean regardless the justin beaver made me laugh yeah overall i mean just the amount that they are just regular ideas that you would find on twitter the key thing is that they're all like buddies and know each other but it's not like oh man you know if you really see the quality of like ideation going on in like Elon Musk's text threads, you'll really understand why he's the guy who needs to buy it. It's like, no, it's all it's all just sort of fine. Like, maybe that's a good idea, but it's not the kind of, you know, you would very much see the same sorts of ideas on like of course. random Twitter threads about how you should improve, improve. Or the inside Twitter. Like, I'm sure employees have pitched this. Right. Like, they haven't thought of this. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I am not like an expert who can evaluate which are good and which are bad ideas. But like, I, <laughs> one thing that, one thing that is like, not the I mean, of the New York Times reporter to have I'm not a product. I mean, some, some journalists are really good at yeah, you know, that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Anyway, but like Elon, his expertise does not lie in social media or sort of, nope. you know, ad based the, businesses. Yeah, ad based software, this kind of stuff. And um, I, I do think it's sort of interesting. And, and a lot of the people that are pitching him ideas are not necessarily even experts on this stuff, but everyone has ideas. And I do think it's sort of interesting, this like kind of uh, Silicon Valley idea that's like really prominent uh, is like once you're successful in one thing, you sort of assume that it's all because you're a genius and and that that automatically translates to any other thing that you could possibly try. Right. Um, and, and I feel like that kind of comes through a little bit in some of these texts. 
Sure. And it's also just a fascinating, like psychological exploration of, you know, when there is no dissenting voices inside a room, when these jam sessions are happening uninhibited and people are throwing out ideas. And because they have been surrounded by so many yes men when they're at a certain echelon of, of success that they don't really take a step back to think maybe some of these ideas have been tried. Maybe they've been tried and failed. Maybe there's a reason why they don't exist. But like the mania that is going on as people are pitching them ideas is clearly what fueled this belief that like, oh, I could buy Twitter and make it really, really successful. Look at all these ideas that I have. I'm just, I'm, I'm overflowing with ideas that I bet have never been tried. And that's the reason Twitter isn't working because they have a lack of ideas. I mean, it's, it's completely bankrupt. What I think is so crazy is that like Twitter is like one of the most mediocre businesses to get really large in, in Silicon Valley, right? But this obsession over how, how much power there is in being in charge of it is like just so fascinating to me. Like, I don't think... Like just say it was Facebook or or some other company, there would not be this like crazy like rush of people being like, how can I get close to this power and like somehow use it use it to influence things in the way that I want them to go. I I just you know like Twitter's always been sort of like an also ran business wise. It's it's well, like yeah. really fascinating. Twitter can to me. ban Trump. You know that's, that's I guess power. that's it. Yeah, I guess that, I guess that's yeah, it. Like power that, exists as far as yeah that goes. I mean, looking through the. Well, Joe Lonsdale's in there being, you know, saying, oh, I was just talking to, you know, Governor Ron DeSantis. And that's where you see sort of the power coming in. It's not so much that the like, I don't know, intelligence or the sort of genius of their ideas are at a different level. It's just sort of these are all such powerful and wealthy people that they are talking to other people that matter, you know, and that's sort of what what elevates the conversation. And But the actual like subject matter, the ideas just doesn't feel so different than like a normal no. like shoot the shit text thread. And that's what makes Elon's whole like worldview about like free speech so frustrating. I don't want to get into the whole argument around free speech, but obviously for people who follow this issue closely, like the, the type of people who are worried about like the Facebook advisory council and shit, Elon's ideas always just felt so simplistic. Like he hasn't thought it through and that ultimately... And this is why I've been like fine with Elon running Twitter because it felt like ultimately if he really had to face the problems of like his free speech views, he would end up embracing a lot of the things that like sort of the liberal technocratic class ends up doing. But he just hasn't ha thought through it. And there's no evidence from these Twitter messages, I mean from the messages and DMs that he, he has some like sophisticated take on this that he hasn't expressed in public. No, if, if anything, it's just fueled by pure ideology. I mean, you have people like Joe Lonsdale, who I didn't realize he was that enmeshed with the GOP. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe, and I, mean, I Joe like Lonsdale, Joe. I mean, but it's just, you know. Well, Joe Lonsdale, so he's a, a co-founder of Palantir, right. which has now positioned himself as anti-big tech. And I think one of his messages here is like, you know, we can take down these big tech bastards or something like that. I can find the actual things I don't like. Did you also him. see the one that was, it was, the, the name was redacted, but it talked about, you know, reinstating the boss, a.k.a. Yes, Trump. That was interesting. Who is that? And it, and it suggested like putting a Blake Masters type in, in, right. in the management. I know. Why was that one redacted? That is sort of the most. Very curious. Sort of dark, dark conservative influence sort of type stuff. I mean, a Blake Masters type, a.k.a. just like a teal loyalist. 
Can we talk through the Web3 subplot? That's one of my that's <laughs> yeah. one of my favorites. The Binance versus Sam Bankman freeze sort of dynamic or Yes. Well, and also that throughout this, like Elon is trying to like text with, you know, people who are like the actual players in this. Like I don't know if it was Brett Taylor or if it was somebody else on Twitter's board, but he's like trying to do business. And like meanwhile, his brother. Kimball, Kimball Musk is just like jumping in with like all these like blockchain ideas and like pitching him on it. And he's just like, not now, man. I'm like, right. kind of busy. Yeah. <laughs> and is- Sam Bankman Freed uh, appears in, in this. He's the CEO of FTX. Uh, it's not entirely clear whether Elon knows who he is. He doesn't at all. He's like, at first, so he's got Will McCaskill, who's the effective altruism guy, um, who's like trying to broker an intro between the two of them. And Elon's first response is, does he have massive amounts of money? So like, he doesn't even know how rich he is. How rich, Will says how rich he thinks Sam is, right? Doesn't he say like 25 billion or something? Yeah, he's just like saying like 25 and then with like supportive employees, they would have like together like 30. But part of what's amazing with that is that Bloomberg estimates Sam Bankman-Fried's fortune at like 9 billion. So I, and I have long believed that Sam is actually richer uh than advertised so i well it depends on what day like what time you know this was they might have been sending it before the the serious crashes started happening uh he could be worth you know a lot less now but then you know they they eventually do get introduced because sbf apparently had long wanted to buy twitter and you know use some kind of blockchain censorship resistant thing and like (laughs) the guy keeps following up elon's kind of like half responding half not and then by the end elon has decided that blockchain twitter will not work because there's not enough peers for it to be peer-to-peer so you would have to have like a few really big ones which defeats the purpose of centralization which is like okay he like looked into this and came away with like a pretty reasonable (laughs) takeaway from it and he's like still getting badgered like just meet this guy and he's like okay fine i'll meet with sam as long as i don't have to have a laborious blockchain debate which oh is my like god i love the it. most relatable thing that it. like elon musk has ever said yeah it's suddenly so he like popped through and, and like you know had like a dose of, of welcome to our world elon we don't want that either this is after he has suggested like paying, having to pay, like have, getting rid of spam and bots by making everyone pay one Dogecoin per tweet or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, well, he's he's off the Dogecoin train thing now, anyway. So yeah, it's less of an issue. I, this is just a random one, but I love when David Sachs tweets to Elon Musk to tell them that he retweeted his tweet. It is just like they are. Oh, it, I don't know. It's, it's just cloud chasing. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. Musk had like t- sent him a Dinesh D'Souza. You see my tweet, bro? You see my tweet? It's just, uh, uh, I mean, it is, they're just like you in some ways, like uh, just desperate for social engagement. Though, though, what's not like everything, and I think we've remarked on this, is just the amount that like even the most powerful people you can imagine flow to Elon. That Elon, that there is like such a hierarchy among these people and everybody sort of just wants to like suck up to Elon and like be around him. Well, here's the one person who exists outside of that, which is fascinating to me. I mean, that's where like maybe the actual power lays is the one person that I saw Elon sucking up to in all of these texts was to Larry Ellison. Yeah. Because, oh, yeah, that, 
That because, is interesting. That's well put. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because when the you know finally he he puts forth his offer and they get past the point where you know the poison pill shit and, and you know the, the the deal the board agrees to the deal, you see Elon immediately going to Larry and saying, "I want you to be one of the people involved in this. I couldn't <laughs> think of anyone else I'd want more than you putting money into this." And, he, and Larry's just like, "Yeah, cool." And he's like, no, Larry's uh, like, yeah, how much do you want? A billion? Yeah. Like, that's his first offer is one right. billion. And, and, and yeah. like, well, what about two? And he's like, sure, anything e- for you. Elon is simultaneously like, oh, we're like oversubscribed and we'd have to make room. But then he's also upping the number that he wants uh, Larry Ellison to put in. It's like, do you have enough if you're begging, if you want two billion instead of one billion? Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, he'd rather have Larry Ellison's money than like, you know, T. Rowe Price or like, you know, Wellington right. or someone that has all these, you know, like governance. <laughs> someone who needs. has a fiduciary obligation to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I want the guy who's, yeah, they, he basically, he wants the guy who could like casually throw in an extra billion right. just for fun, like another package on the bonfire. I mean, Andreessen Horowitz, you know, and Mark Andreessen sort of facilitating this does have, you know, limited partners and they, uh, they, Andreessen was like, we're happy to invest $250 million, like no diligence required, basically. No strings attached. Yeah, yeah just we'll do it. Like, um, And I mean, Andreessen knows Twitter, um, so it's not crazy, but just just the, the lightweight. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that part to me wasn't like as shocking because shocking. it was like, obviously, their VCs, their whole thing is that they invest in a person. If there's yeah. any one person that like quit, that that is the pattern matching of all pattern matching, it's Elon. Like, and then on top of that, Twitter's a public company, so like, what what right. diligence is there totally, really to do? Totally. It's like, it's all this all the steps out there. Yeah. Although apparently Elon was still doing diligence at his mom's apartment when he texted <laughs> Sean Parker a month after signing the deals. <laughs> do we uh, do we want to move into? Uh... The great bro debate, or did were there more texts that we need? We haven't to talked hit? about who was going to run Twitter because, in addition to all of the discussions over money and like who we want to get to participate in their GoFundMe, there was an interesting side plot on different CEO candidates. And mm-hmm. so we have who was it that suggested Bill Gurley as the CEO? Oh, I actually didn't know who that was. It it was somebody with like a, a I, I didn't recognize that name. Well, Eric, you're the Bill Gurley whisperer. I mean, tell me about the likelihood of Bill Gurley. He's never been a CEO before. He's he's a banker who went on to become a VC. Like, no, he's, he's, never he's been. a stock market analyst. But yeah, stock market uh, analyst. Yeah, but um, yeah, I find that very hard to believe. I do find it believable that our friend Emil uh, Michael, who we had on this podcast. I think Steve Jurvetson put him up like yeah. it seemed almost at Emil's prompting, though. I'm sure Emil will text me as soon as this episode's out if that's wrong. But but yeah, I, I mean, Emil, Steve Jurvetson sent, and as a follow up to that, <laughs> he sent a LinkedIn in which Elon's like, "What do I do with this thing?" Yeah, right. Elon's like, "I'm not on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm Elon on LinkedIn. Musk." <laughs> which I hope someone's made an Elon Musk LinkedIn profile after this. And then, but then, yeah. Steve Jurvetson also like shield his own son. You know, talking well, about like yeah, nepotism. Elon's like, "I'm gonna be the boss. Don't like, don't send me bosses. That's me." <laughs> And then he's like, only so many people who can write good code. And then Jervidson's like, well, my son works at Reddit. Right. I have one more thing before you. Oh, great. Because uh, the Cantorowitz pointed this one out too, which I like, I saw that in there when I was scrolling through and didn't really like dwell on the full absurdity of it. But out of nowhere, Benioff jumps in there and just goes, and his pitch is like so elevator pitch, like Silicon Valley, Twitter, conversational OS, the town square for your digital life. <laughs> <laughs> and that's I mean, and Elon's just like, 
No. <laughs> it's, it's like, Mark, this isn't like enterprise SaaS. You don't need to reframe like Twitter in some way. Like your, your reframing is less under comprehensible than like, I understand with like Salesforce, you need to like have all these weird metaphors so people can but understand. Here, do, yeah, you he, do you think he workshopped that with Brett Taylor? I... <laughs> I mean, but let's, let's also, CEO. Let's not forget also chair of Twitter. somewhere in Salesforce Tower is a file, like is a is a, is a slide deck of when Salesforce was considering buying Twitter that they ended right. up mothballing. That happened a couple of years ago too. So someone maybe he got that pitch from that file. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I think he busted it out and it's like, well, if it was no good for me in 2016 or whenever that was going to happen, maybe maybe someone can make use of this. You know, I have like a whole team of. Analysts of like McKinsey style people at Salesforce putting it together. Does it make sense to you? No, nah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But yeah, Benioff does the Benioff thing. You mentioned Brett Taylor. He's the one like adult in the situation. He's the only one who seems to one recognize that like he has a fiduciary duty. <laughs> and also every single text at certain point is going to show up in discovery because a lawsuit yeah. is, is, is going to happen. Like when the shit hits the fan. So he's the one who is like the least to be embarrassed about because he's just doing his job. Yeah. Feels very Brett Taylor to me, but okay. So here's here's I guess how we can wrap it all up. I mean, like we all cover investment. We've all dealt with some of these characters at different points in our in our professional career. Uh, I mean, what can you take away about the nature of you know the elite in Silicon Valley? Well, it really affirms the like small world nature of it. You know, it's just like oh yeah, many of these characters are familiar to me. Not that many surprising names. I saw like. You know, Michael Grimes is in there pitching Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, the top tech banker at Morgan Stanley. It's just, it's sort of like, you know, there are sort of the same characters over and over again. I also do think like the power of text message where you can just intrude in someone's brain is like on display here. You know, it's just like, just be the person like texting Elon and he, I don't know, you're all of a sudden like sort of involved. It's very Trumpian, right? I mean, that was one of the reasons he was such a chaos agent as president is because so many people had his phone and right, were texting like, him and he would respond. Are, right. They just act. They're, it's just like, okay, get on their mind and they'll tweet something out about it. And, you know, like, Do you think this stories. is unique to Elon or that other, all the other people in this very elite, fairly small circle also do business like this all day? Like, you know, it's like Reed Hoffman, or Mark Andreessen just sitting there texting and like doing all their deals and everything like that, just like constantly. I mean, I mean, I do think texts are just like a really efficient way to communicate in the medium that you know you do business and definitely has a big impact on it. But I, but no, I think most deals are like how Twitter behaves, where it's like they're lawyers and they're you yeah. know they're just like they're very worried and they don't want to look like a fool. It takes someone to, you know you have to be the world's richest man. And take a certain pleasure in just like having bankers run around and clean up your messes and lawyers. Uh, I don't know. So I don't think there, most people are doing. There's this. a part of me that sort of like any and and I haven't like gotten inside too many deals like like this that I've reported on. But anytime I do, there is a part of me that feels like from the outside, even if it looks like everything is going perfectly great, it, on the inside, it's just freaking chaos and like everything is moving quickly and people are like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel there's a part of me that sort of feels like um, maybe this is like how things always are. We just don't really get this kind of glimpse into it very often. Yeah. And I think there's a tendency by a lot of the second tier people in tech who are, you know, as we saw in display in these text messages are very excited about the fact that they're close to power. They'd like to reverse engineer logic 
and reverse engineer strategy. And what we might say is like absolute chaos. They say, oh, actually, there's a lot of strategy behind it. And these guys are thinking about it in a different way. Right. And you can see on full display here, no, it's not. This is absolute chaos. This is people whispering in each other's ears. They are fueled by grievances, by political agendas, by their own venal characters. And it's fine. That's how we all are. Like, I'm not saying they're any different than you and I, but like, understand that these are not the fucking masters of the universe. Right. Or if they are, they're fueled by the same petty things that fuel all of us. And they just happen to have way more money and can fuck up the world in more vast and dramatic ways than you or I can. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is insidious. Like, I think it's amusing. I think it it's logical to me that if you want to raise money and you know a bunch of rich people, you just text the rich people you know and they know you're not you're you're less likely to screw them over because you have a relationship like the small world aspect of silicon valley actually i think is part of what makes it good and that if this were and, and sort of the move away from just like let's lawyer everything and make it super sort of corporate sounding i don't like that so while it's like easier to make fun of this and it seems ridiculous and sort of it's more it's easier to lampoon the lack of sophistication when you don't even spell grenade right versus if you have like, you know, some cravat lawyer or sort of rewrite what you're saying to clean it up. Like Aaron was saying, the lawyers and all this apparatus around tech exists to clean up the mess and make it seem, I mean, that's what comes through. I mean, I've joked about this before, but like this whole episode is basically dumb barbarians at the gate, right? It's like even, even more petty, even like even more fueled by just people who have to think out ideas. But yes, the, the apparatus around them, all the underlings that have to write the legal framework to make this thing actually exist, they're here to make it seem like it's part of a real system. Right. But everything else is just, it's just capriciousness. All the lawyers and bankers play adult. Like they are, they, they're, lawyers and bankers exist to make it seem like there's this adult world where everybody knows what they're doing and they're like doing it the right way. And meanwhile, like the actual like executives and like all the people in the mix are just like, saying shit sort of off the cuff and yeah, it's just like a son. mess you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, one of the ones that, that that like what you guys are saying just made me think of because i'm like okay well what is the actual you know human impact of this ultimately and right. it's like well yeah if you work at twitter your life has probably sucked for the last year and like at one point like god I think forbid Cal oh my god you're getting jerked around it as a you know four hundred thousand dollar a year anyway continue. yeah yeah well i was saying at one point like I, I it's just notable to me like calicanus is like if we have mandatory two days in the week office at twitter we'll have you know immediate 20 percent headcount reduction and like you know there's just like talking about this kind of stuff but it like that those conversations happening behind the scenes like you know mask off and then the lawyers, like, say they did do that, announce that, like, the way that the lawyers and the HR and everyone would present it would be, you know, like, this, like, very tearful HR executive right. being like, oh, we're going to have to say goodbye to, like, right. some of our tweets today. But and, that's sort of know. what Elon hates. I think that's part of what Elon is reacting to with the prog back and forth, where it's like, mm. you know, you're really distracting our company. Like, you know, and it's just like, come on. Like, what? why are you so soft? Like, that's... Again, to the, we've been the circling the bro issue. It's just like there is definitely you accurately capture in your story, uh, you know, a fatigue with pretending that there's something wrong with like aggression, straightforwardness, like in in business culture. And I I definitely think Elon here is, is sick of sort of the way that yeah, sort of the simultaneous like corporate HR 
lawyery sort of PC way that this message would get framed within Twitter instead of like, yeah, like do your fucking jobs or you're going to lose them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you, you said earlier that you disagree with my piece. So I, I, I agree with your analysis. So are you, do you, do you, are are you like bring back again. aggression? Okay, no. let's, before we do that, right. why, frame why don't you give story. us like, yeah, okay. let's, let, let us hear what you're saying. Fuck, the, fuck the listener. That's always the philosophy on Dead Cat. <laughs> don't let them know what we're talking about. Well, no, we talk about it for 10 minutes and then we explain it at the end. Right. It's like the, the great reveal. We don't want to spoil it. And then you have to listen to it again. You know, it's good rewatch value, you know. Right. Uh, Aaron, explain the story. Uh, so I, I have a story uh, that, that came out last week that was basically about like kind of the return to bro culture or at least the open embrace of it uh, in Silicon Valley. And it's kind of like a little bit of a backlash to, to Me Too that's been happening more broadly in the culture, you know, everywhere. But, you know, for a while there in Silicon Valley, uh, the people at the top were at least pretending or appearing to pretend to care about a lot of the major issues that are that 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 tech culture has a problem with, like the fact that, you know, that there's like almost no diversity, very few women at the top, that harassment and discrimination are like rampant, all that stuff. You know, people, if they didn't actually care, they tried, they at least appeared to pretend to care. Right. Um, and, and that seems to have just like over the last few years, people, you know, got tired of it um, or, 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 or our backlash has, has, has sort of bubbled up. And just in general, I think in the last, you know, few months, you've seen like so many, so many things happen that, sort of show to me that the masks, if they were ever on, are now fully off. That like no one really, or not no one, but people are are no longer like trying to act like they even like really care about And who are, And who are some of the issues. characters you use as examples? Well, I, I mean, the the one is, uh, you know, the, the way that the Andreessen investment in Adam Newman's company Flow was announced. It, it's you know it's one thing they to to give this guy like three hundred fifty million dollars or something like that after you know completely destroying billions of dollars in value at his last company and mismanaging it. But it's another thing to announce it in this way that it's like so brazen. Like this guy like learned his lessons and and you know this is the biggest single check we've ever written. Like it, it just seemed like is what you're objecting you know, to. Yeah, and it was just well, and it was right after this whole like backlash to Andreessen being a NIMBY and and it's a you know residential real estate startup, and so it just felt like it was one of those like it almost just felt like it was designed to like kind of troll a little bit. And right. I mean, whether or not it was, Listen, that was that's the that take was, I wrote. Yeah, that was my um, you know impression, and yeah, so we agree on that. And um, and then there's you know. Mark Zuckerberg's going on the Joe Rogan podcast and like talking about how like watching TV is beta and and he's like super into like he only cares about UFC and he's super into MMA and he's just like kind of had this like alpha male makeover. Uh, Max Chafkin wrote like a great piece on it that sort of uh, inspired me um, to include that in my story. And then he's also, you know, being really aggressive with his workers. Like, you know, if you're coasting, you're you're out. Maybe you should leave. He's done coddling them. And then there's, um, let's see, what are some? And well, and then there's just like, you know, <laughs> Elon. But there's also lots of littler examples that are kind of not quite bubbling up into the mainstream, like well, Launchhouse. Like Shervin Peshavar. Yeah, um, Shervin's back. Um, Launchhouse, which is this startup that's kind of like a hacker house in LA that's backed by Andreessen. They, there was a story in Vox that came out about like all these really horrible, like sexual assault and terrible things that that happened there, and they're trying to kind of 
covered up or handled it really badly. And, you know, it's like pretty scandalous and like no one really weighed in on it. And well, that, in tech, that one's they're, definitely they're, one this game passed around sort of in the tech. But I definitely think it's resonating. But I agree with your uh, position. You know, it wasn't like people were calling out Andres and like publicly on right. Twitter. You know, like after once Me Too was starting to happen and, and like there were some big, big stories in Silicon Valley. Like, don't you remember how like Reed Hoffman had this like hashtag and there was a pledge and there was like all this stuff. Like, you know, people were like, we are angry and we're going to try to make a change. And this was just like, oh, well. Yep, not surprising. Everyone saw that coming. Well, I mean, so I, I certainly agree with your assessment of the trend. I, when I was at Code, you know, Scott Galloway, Kara Swisher's co-host on Pivot, uh, the, the sort of marketing business professor, uh, self-promoter extraordinaire. I mean, <laughs> his whole shtick is sort of, we need like good liberal role models for men. And he was sort of, I think in the New York Times story, you guys did a big profile of him. You sort of, there's sort of a, you know, Jordan Peterson comparison for the left. So I, I think there is, I think he represents the most like palatably packaged version of this uh, for Democrats of like, okay, how do we sort of lean in again to masculinity while sort of still, you know, holding to the values of like me too. So I guess I think that's like one data point in this like return to like maleness. And I agree. I think like as part of, okay, we have these male dominated tech cultures at our companies. So we need to create like a more inclusive environment for women. We're going to be less like we don't want like toe stepping or bravado, you know, like some of the aggressive combative, of like warlike metaphor imagery. And so like people moved away from that to be more inclusive of women at their companies. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree. There's like a fatiguing of it just because like, you know, the men who make up the majority of these companies, I think are just sort of want to go back to being like sort of naturalistic and just saying like, the words and values that like come naturally to them and that there's sort of like a put, there's just sort of like the amount you can perform the way that maybe society should work versus the natural thing you would say. I think there's a, there's a shift back to it. So I don't think it's necessarily that people have a problem with toe stepping or like an aggressive culture. It's like people don't want to be harassed or discriminated against. And it's just unfortunate that those two tend to go hand in hand a lot. <laughs> I mean, at, at WeWork, there was like a ton of like, you know, there were a lot of lawsuits and stuff over like discrimination and and harassment. Like it, it just happens to go hand in hand somehow. <laughs> well, I think a loose corporate environment, you know, yeah, there was a lot of drinking and stuff, but I don't, it wasn't like the Uber story where it was like, I didn't think that gender discrimination was a huge part of sort of the WeWork headlines as I, I consumed it. I wonder what's going on here. So maybe try to connect like Aaron's story to like the broader trend just economically is I feel like there's also just been like a lack of mainstream and everything is just divided off on different size niches. And, you know, like the power of the Me Too movement was that there was this sort of accepted agreement that you can't act in this way, that this is incredibly harmful to obviously the women, but also generally the culture more broadly. And as time has moved on and maybe we got sort of disaggregated because of the pandemic and, you know, just having less connection with each other, a lot of companies were starting to think like, 
but why do I care that much about what is considered mainstream? Let me just do what I want to do, like build a company the way I want to build. If I get some backlash for it, right? Like okay, Brian then, Armstrong at Coinbase, you know. Yeah, just saying, let me just do things the way that feels comfortable, natural to me. You know, people will self-select out, right. and you know, uh, and and things will just sort of be that way, and and I can just be happy with the world that I've created. Now, it doesn't that doesn't kind of mirror with the idea of scale. And at some point you need to like build something to recruit enough people that you can build a company of size to match the business ambitions that you have. But I think people also, you know, hand in hand with that are like cancellation as a concept is maybe sort of dying away. You're not really going to be able to be, you're not gonna be blacklisted in a way that doesn't let you run your business anymore if you have certain values. So it doesn't sound like it's a fully thought through ideology, but my guess is like they feel empowered somewhat because they think the backlash that they could endure is actually pretty survivable. So why don't just do the stuff that you feel natural about, you know? I mean, so that, and I don't, yeah. And I don't think that like, I think there are, there is like a, a spectrum. The whole idea of cancellation is like, was never very like one size fits all anyway. There's such a spectrum of behaviors. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with Adam Newman being able to raise more money. It's just like, also worth pointing out at the same time that like he's given a second chance. Many male founders that fuck up big time are given a second chance. And right. still we're in this position where like, you know, women and uh, underrepresented minorities like don't really have to like fight for scraps to get a first chance. And like, it's worth making that point when that, when that happens and not like totally. you know, trying to police that. Well, I think I'm, I'm, I mean, one of the pieces, the the complications of this, I think, in your story that you get to is like, you know, like the PayPal mafia is like a boys club. I mean, it's like all men. Yeah. And that's so essential to Silicon Valley and fits right into this Twitter lawsuit. I mean, like, yeah. uh, I mean, David Sachs is in the PayPal mafia. You know, a Reed Hoffman is one mm -hmm. of the people texting Elon, like. I think Sequoia ends up supporting Elon, and obviously that's a firm that's run by Ruloff, uh, who is part of the PayPal Mafia. So PayPal Mafia is directly relevant to this. And I yeah. think this is sort of part of where it fits together. Like a theme of my newsletter, and I, a reality is that like, yeah, Silicon Valley is run by like a small group of people, you know, who all know each other and understanding the interpersonal dynamics of it. And they're like French. Is there a single woman on any of these texts that wasn't like an assistant? I mean, the I board, the one, the one Twitter board member, I think. Well, then wasn't that um, that WWE lady? She was subpoenaed, but I don't see her on any of these texts. I don't see least. her here. I could be wrong, but yeah, it's I, very male. That's a good. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I recognize that on some level, but worth underlining, just like near what is, sort of it's phrasing here. Can I ask you, Aaron? I mean, what what responses have you gotten since the piece came out? I mean, I know like a lot of people that you're writing about here are very anti-media, very anti-New York Times specifically, maybe even anti-you. <laughs> like what what uh <laughs> what um I mean what have you heard since then? Like what's uh, been a rebuttal or or anything? Wait, hold on, I'm pulling it up. Uh let me see if he still has it. So Andreessen had changed his Twitter bio to be a quote from my story. And oh my his, God, his background is currently the picture from the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, his Twitter bio was referencing one of my stories the other day. That's funny. I've been displaced. We all get, our, we all get to take our turn there. <laughs> I love how he's like, stop tweeting. He just open, he just updates his, uh, <laughs> his status, like an old sort of Facebook. Uh... But I, and then I, there were some people that, you know, were messaging me like, oh, come on. And like nitpicking different points that they disagreed with. 
or me, you know, the examples that I chose. But the like the most part, it was like a ton of like it was like women coming out of the woodwork, people who I haven't talked to for years, um, like randomly messaging me like, oh, my God, thank you for writing this. Like, I feel this in my bones. Like, I'm so glad that like people are finally talking about it because like yeah. I am encountering it constantly. I was really surprised by that, actually. So like it's definitely a feeling that a lot of women have right yeah. now. Well, we need, well, here's the solution. I'm going to get, but Mackenzie Scott needs to stop giving away all this money and wield it as leverage over all these people, you know, thirsty for rich people to, you know, give them their insane project. I mean, it, it is sort of like, you know, it's hard. Obviously who has the money is deeply sexist, but then once they have the money and we live in this sort of capitalist world where people are orienting themselves around the money, it becomes even harder to unwind um, or unwind that control. I guess I'm having my awakening to capitalism and sexism right now. I'm like, oh yeah, uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just the money though; it's also the power. They go. It's I mean, the, uh, money uh, you know often means power, but there's there's also an intangible. Like, I mean, why else do all the billionaires tweet so much? If the money was fine, they wouldn't. Right. If, if the money was enough, they they wouldn't right. be you know desperate for the influence. Well, because they all feel empty inside. This is where we have to really feel bad for them. You know, they have they have everything, and it is not enough. I feel bad for their therapy. <laughs> like try to sort out these individual issues. Um, no, it's a it's a fascinating topic, Aaron. And I, I hope you have a follow up on it with the, the people who reached out with like they're like you have. You what know, should the is... what should the follow up be though? I don't I don't even know. I mean, I feel like honestly, if this if these texts had been out when I was writing the story, I could have just done it all based on that. It would have been a yeah. lot easier to write. I don't know. I mean, it's it's. You know, we're entering a period where funding is not going to be as easy, right? It's going to be a little bit harder for companies to raise. And it'll be interesting to see the commitments that a lot of VCs and other firms that made during, the, you know, the, the rich times to, you know, put more money towards companies founded by underrepresented minorities or women. And if they're going to continue that in a time where their funds maybe aren't as big or they feel more pressure to do it. I mean, theoretically, it could be a time for a total reset and they could dramatically change how they do it. but. You know, it's like your instincts kick in when you feel cornered. And I wonder how much they're going to, you know, as they start to feel cornered, just go back to the kind of lazy pattern matching that existed in the past that created an environment that, that you ended up writing about here. Yeah, that's what a lot of I, I heard that from a, from a number of people being like, well, DNI is the first thing to get cut in a downturn. You know, people yeah. suddenly see it as like a nice to have. So just connecting the two a yes. little bit, though. Sure. I think. Part of the frustration is not just with bro culture or aggressive tech execs or whatever. It's like how childish it is. Right. And like how right. defiant it has become. You know, yeah. it's like, it's not just like we want to be aggressive because that's how our company wins. It's like we want to be in your face about it and like make you feel bad about it. You know, <laughs> like we're, we're like doing it to troll you. Right. It's all Twitter. Trolling. It's all for engagement. Right. It's all, it's all the yeah. same mentality that created this company that Jack himself was like, I think it's been bad for the world. In right. The yeah. Twitter, Twitter sort of style thinking in these short blips, you know, I, I do hope with like newsletters not to be a utopian about it, but we can have sort of longer form, Debates, and I do think the quality of our thinking is made worse by by Twitter and sort of 4chan and sort of the trolley message board culture. 
Well, it sounds like Elon has a plan. So uh, I look forward to that. And it sounds like it's all going to be uh, worked out. In, what are, in what are we going to name the podcast? What's the best? Uh, my grenade, my grande, my, or whatever. The uh... If you guys want to have Jason actually come on the podcast, you should probably not. Jason knows how to time. dish it out. If he can't take it, I'm not going to. Oh, you know. I, 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 I would feel confident enough saying Jason loved this. <laughs> Yeah, he, he wants it. to be the central figure, it. like even if it's sort of a little. You this know, is exactly he, he gets, what being he gets shit on every on day on his own podcast. Every yeah. week he's getting shit on on his own podcast. Like Jason uh, is like <laughs> the little brother that happens to also be worth tens of millions of dollars that has had too much sugar that everyone sort of tolerates but enjoys having around. <laughs> and this is uh, as clear a depiction of that as anything. And I bet he loved every fucking second of it. Uh, see, see on the podcast, Jason. All right, thanks, Aaron. Always, yeah. always our regular, our loyal guest. We appreciate yeah. it. I would, I would jump on a grande for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, yeah, that's all. All right, that's true, friend. Yeah, cool. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.